Escape from Plan A. Hey, welcome to Escape from Plan A. This is uh, Teen, uh, and I've got uh, a couple people with me. Uh, Chris, Chris, how's it going? You've been you've regular on the pod, so uh, you know yeah. I guess people should know you. Hey, yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me back. Yeah, it's good to hear from you. Uh, and then we have a guest, a uh, special guest, uh, Dr. Joshua Blum. He is a clinical psychiatrist, I think uh, most closely associated with Bucknell University. Do you want to just uh, give an intro to yourself and sure. explain who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so, yeah, my uh, I'm a psychiatrist, um, trained as an adult and uh, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I work primarily at two universities um, in central Pennsylvania, Bucknell and Susquehanna universities. And I see students and basically like the student health, like counseling uh, centers there. And um, in terms of my background, um, this is not something I typically go into with most students, although occasionally um, if it, uh, if, if it's part of the work that we end up doing, I'll disclose a little bit of my background, but generally speaking, you know, mental health professionals don't talk a lot about themselves for, for specific reasons, but so, so that it gives them space to, for the, the actual patients to have the floor. Um, but my background is uh, my, um, my mother's from Taiwan. Um, I came here in her mid twenties or early to early, early to mid twenties. Um, and my father, uh, actually he's from this country, uh, from the U S um, and actually met her in Taiwan after, uh, not, not too long after the Vietnam War. Um, and he had actually gone to, so actually got back from Vietnam. Uh, uh, I think not entirely sure he would necessarily live through the experience, but he did. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure, but so actually went back to school, studied um, uh, Chinese. And then uh, at the time uh, in the, in the seventies, um, you could not, it was, it was very difficult to go to China to study but you could go to Taiwan. And so that's where he met my mother. Um, and then uh, they eventually came back to the States, a uh, sort of circuitous journey. And my brother and I were, were born here. Um, and so uh, we, we've spent our life kind of straddled between uh, two, two cultures um, and uh, without necessarily identifying 100% with either, either one. As I would say it's only recently that um, I've kind of given more I mean, it's always been a part of my life, but uh, had necessarily a better way of describing that or even necessarily thinking about that in a very conscious way. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really helpful because uh, I think that is kind of how like you we linked up, right? Was you had uh, the, I guess you heard the episode that Chris was on um, the mixed yeah. race pod. Yeah. Yeah. So after. Um, the past couple of, well, the past or six months has been absolutely crazy. Um, so I think for anybody that works in healthcare, um, and if you work in mental health, then it's just like the mental health needs around the country and probably the world, but I would say definitely on the country are, are high, higher than they have been. Um, so definitely no exception there. But I think for anybody that works in healthcare, it's been a rough time. 
Um, and, you know, for people just in general, I think balancing so many things. But I, up to that point, um, I had not necessarily uh, looked into podcasts or other kinds of things um, that specifically talked about race for the very reason that, I, you know, it's sort of like part of my life. I live it. I don't necessarily want to think about it when I'm not like working or I, when I'm doing something for just relaxation or you know, you're washing dishes or something like that and you want to you let your mind escape to something else. You don't necessarily want to think about, or I don't necessarily want to think about weighty problems of the world, uh, especially ones that don't have uh, solutions or anything like that that you can necessarily come up with uh, so easily. So, but over the past um, couple of months, I mean, there's uh, obviously, you know, racial dialogue in the U.S. has, has increased again. And so, um, I, I looked and I wanted to uh, see if, you know, just out of curiosity, what there was available. So, I started listening to more podcasts from people of different uh, walks of life and uh, some are uh, black, some are um, Asian, some are uh, – uh, I, I looked for ones that were of mixed race um, that there was – that talked about those issues. I only found a few isolated episodes. And a couple of were were were, were your um, y'all's episodes uh, where you, I think you had a couple um, specifically on there was a couple on mental health and there was a couple on just the mixed race experience. One was I remember specifically that was about the male mixed race um, uh, episode or uh, identity, and I think um, CS you might have been on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Who else? Yeah. Who else was on that one? CS. It was like that, you, that Chris, and Michael oh. and Anton. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and then, Josh, you, when last time we spoke, uh, uh, you know, we had this conversation that's sort of going down this uh, uh, path towards talking about choice, and sure. I thought it might make a good discussion for a pod. And so, uh, and I'll just kind of maybe explain for uh, the benefit of the podcast listeners, like, why that is, because it's kind of an abstract notion, right? Um, I, I just to give a little background in terms of how we started was three and a half years ago or so, like when Trump got elected, you know, we started to see having been online a lot and looking at the way, uh, you know, Asian people, especially young ones, uh, younger ones were talking online. Uh, you know, we started to see like there definitely was starting to be a lot of like bifurcation and, uh, you know, the, 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 the things that people were talking about became more heated. There was more anger online and there was more division and people were going into separate camps, you know, and uh, you know, on, for example, I think there was a big gender divide, like the way like uh, men and women were talking about things seemed to be very divergent. And then, uh, you know, we started noticing that there were, um, you know, potential, like, the potential for sort of like, you know, a right wing kind of reactionary identity to come up, which we've seen, let's say, a lot in white men, young white men mm -hmm. joining groups, joining the alt-right, joining groups like Proud Boys, etc. And, uh, you know, and we did see that there were Asian American, young Asian American men that were going that way as well. And um, at the same time, we saw that there was, uh, you know, a sort of polarization on the left, too, where uh, people who were, you know, who might have considered themselves progressives or, or, or liberals were facing, 
you know, a sort of youth culture that was radicalizing a bit more um, into the left wing. And that was not all that can be an alienating process for a lot of people, too. Uh, sure. They they don't always have the most um, just like the right wing doesn't. I would say that you could say the same about the left wing to an extent. And so what we were realizing was that, you know, in this environment where you see polarization and division, like you see a lot of responsible voices try to say, you know, try to sort of hold the center and and, and suggest ways to, quote, transcend this or to see both sides. And it just struck me that, you know, a lot of Asian American literature uh, uh, has been written about the dangers of doing that. Right. And so if you look at uh, two, you know, two books come to mind. One, one is Native Speaker by Chang Rei Li. The other is The Sympathizer by Viet Thanh Nguyen. And both of the, and I think Viet Thanh Nguyen's book, The Sympathizer, the protagonist is actually mixed race yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. And both books are very similar in the sense of this sort of like division of identity within one individual and this constant flip-flopping and the paranoia that arises from that and all this. So I was very, I mean, it's, it's a book, right? But both of them follow very similar tracks. And so I felt, you know, it seemed to a lot of us that, you know, you, we couldn't avoid the choice anymore. We could no longer like pretend to, you know, say, well, both sides have a point, you know, when we mm-hmm. clearly we thought, you know, okay, one side here is out of their fucking mind and the other side, while, you know, uh, can be a bit extreme in its own right, if it, it felt like, you know, it was incumbent on us to sort of try and offer a way in to more left-leaning politics that explained things that made sense to young Asian Americans when sometimes, uh, you know, it, it didn't make so much sense, let's say. And so that's kind of the broad outline of kind of where we fell on this issue of Asian American identity or Asian American political identity. And the what, what made me interested in bringing this up with you, Josh, was that we started noticing too that the more we discussed it in terms of podcasts and articles and stuff that we kept coming back to issues of mental health and how, you know, political identity and mental health seem to be pretty intertwined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone feels that there is no valid or available political identity for them that, uh, you know, that can maybe be a threat to their, um, you know, personal identity and stability of that personal identity. So it was hard for us. It, It, well, it seemed to me that there was a real link, but now, talking to you and you're uh, an actual clinical psychiatrist, a mental health professional. It always was, I was always curious, how do you all handle these kind of things where it seemed to me that a doctor is a very apolitical sort of, you know, presence. Uh, How do you deal with that uh, to the extent that you do see it? I don't know if you do see it, you know, in, on a college campus, but if you see, for example, someone who's, drifting towards more racist or misogynistic thoughts someone who's starting you know starting to be uh you know lured into right-wing spaces how does that how is that addressed by a mental health professional because i'll tell you how it's addressed by a podcaster but how is it addressed (laughs) by a mental health professional has been very interesting to me you know so yeah i mean i think um I i will say that uh um, mental health professionals and just going under the rubric of just or the overall like umbrella of medicine just in general 
is is not i mean we're not social scientists and we're not politicians um and i think the goal is really to try as much as possible to understand the person that's in front of you and to help that person in whatever way you can but it does does mean that um you are inevitably going to come across people that um you you don't uh you don't agree with their views um and uh, you, you may not necessarily even like them uh, as people. Um, in fact, that's, I would say that's a very, very common situation that you, you, come, in, come, in, uh, you come across is that um, there's something about this person. It could be uh, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they um, carry themselves, their, their background, anything, anything about them that reminds you in some way uh, of something that like touches a nerve in you. And um, the same thing will happen for the patient and you. So, you may look a certain way, talk a certain way, whatever. There's something in your office that reminds them of a good experience, a bad experience, whatever. It has nothing to do – in either case, it has nothing to do with the actual person. But it has to do with everything about like associations that we make. And I think as, as people, we constantly make associations um, and uh, it saves us time, but it also, on the flip side, can lead to um, foregone conclusions, you know, stereotyping and things like that. Uh, and so, um, there's these two ideas of uh, what we call it counter-transference and transference, but the idea is that, you know, uh, the person that you're looking at, that you're supposed to be treating in an impartial way, inevitably, um, they may engender certain feelings and you're supposed to be impartial right so it could be someone who's you know uh you know like a nice old lady and engenders this sort of warm kind of like maternal like feeling in in you know that, that that's the sort of thing that they they kind of emanate and that's like a nice thing but if if let's say you had a horrendous experience with your own mother maybe it wouldn't be interpreted as as not like a great experience for you so it's i think it's a constant kind of thing of recognizing that for what it is. And um, I would say in a lot of parts of medicine, they don't really talk about that that much. Um, but I think in, in mental health, you talk about that kind of stuff a lot because your own bag, everybody has, you know, everybody has their demons, everybody has baggage. If that, if you let that get in the way of the relationship that you're supposed to be cultivating, then you won't be able to do your job. And, but that said, like there may come a point where you cannot, uh, your own ethics, um, your own uh, code of contact, whatever you you can't you can't treat this person, you know. Um, and so that that happens sometimes, and uh, often we discuss that with other people or you know colleagues and stuff like that. Or sometimes that is actually part of the actual work that you do. If you're doing therapy with somebody, that may be part of the work that you do helping that person recognize what they engender in you and to see if they can, they have some capability of insight. You know, this thing that they said that let's say is a racist or something like that. You know, can they appreciate that for what it is? And can they, can they potentially grow uh, from that? Um, so, a lot of the, what you do is kind of using the relationship that you create with the person um, as a microcosm for relationships that they have with other people. So, that's sort of a longer way of answering your question. I'm not sure if it, it directly did, but um, 
that's it's it's not i wouldn't say a one size fits all kind of thing yeah i mean i think so for 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 my from my perspective it's more it was like um I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to connect here on in terms of um like my specific concern here you know was looking at the ways that you know a certain there was like a certain i don't know if it's an archetype I would maybe that's I, I know that's a specific has a specific meaning or something, but there was there was this archetype of you know the the online angry Asian guy, mm-hmm. right? That was that was starting to uh, take over certain spaces, and there was there were seemingly a lot of these guys, and they had a lot to say, and they had a lot of uh, you know they they would seek each other out. And they would, um, uh, you know, start, you know, ostensibly uh, form anti, you know, anti notions of anti-racism. Like, I'm not saying like it was all bad. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I was looking at this. I'm like, I'm glad these guys are getting together and talking about a lot of this stuff. That's good. You know, like on Reddit and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you saw that there was some, you know, a, a range of people in there that, could sort of like steer the conversation away from, you know, uh, you know, th- like bouts of extremism, right? Extremist ideas about race, extremist ideas about gender. And, but at the same time, you would see like, if things got moderated, you know, or pushed towards, uh, you know, maybe a more sane place, that you would see people just leave and then they would like enter another group that was more, that was sort of an antithesis to that former group that said, Oh, we're not going to censor ourselves anymore when it comes to the topic of, you know, the, uh, whatever it is that, you know, usually it has to do with uh, race and race and gender. Right. Like let's take the, the issue of interracial dating always a huge topic online, not really discussed in real life as much, but when you go online and you see the sort of like shadow discussion, that's always the topic, right? So, yeah, I'm you see really this sh- happen. Sure why it's not discussed more in, in um, uh, but I yeah. suspect, I yeah. suspect it's not because I think a lot of the thoughts around it are not so, uh, are not so, they're not really processed very well. And when they're expressed, uh, they often sound pretty fucked up, Yeah, you know? And so you see, for example, that it was, I mean, this is my uh, 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 experience was uh, I would see this stuff in anonymous forums like Reddit, but I wouldn't see it, say, in Facebook because Facebook is like about, you know, it's disclosed. Mm -hmm. Your, Your identity is attached to your account, whereas in Reddit, it's completely anonymous. And so you saw a lot of these uh, discussions happen in anonymous spaces like Reddit. And uh, it was kind of uh, alarming, I would say, to see that there were there was a very radicalizing nature to some of this stuff. Sure. And it really mirrored in many ways similar spaces of white guys that we knew about, that we heard about in the news, you know, um, like right wing spaces and uh, things like that. 
and you, I wouldn't say that it ever, I never, I didn't really see it get to that level, but I did see there were some spaces that were known to be really quite extreme. Chris, you know what the ones, the ones I'm talking about, like some of them were pretty crazy, right? Like on Reddit. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with them. I feel like you, you deep dive way deeper than I ever did with that stuff. Uh, there were some where I wouldn't go in where, where I was like, whoa, that, that one's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think a lot of this is just like you, you do this very privately because no one, I mean, it's not a, you're not going to win any social capital by coming off as like anti-miscegenation or like mm-hmm. interroga- interrogating that, which I mean, to be fair to these guys that are talking about it is a bigger problem. I think of, you know, United States, whatever you want to say it's in, it is localized to like Asian guys, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you can't really talk about that in a coherent way without being like a social pariah of some sort. I think that's right. And, um, and so a lot of us who were either in these spaces or lurking these spaces, uh, we were like, no, I think a lot of these things could be, you know, we were like, a lot of these things could be understood. A lot of these things can be processed. Yeah. Uh, but not in that way, and but but in order, and I th- and I think that there was a nexus there between these kinds of thoughts and how they went from like say personal fixations or something, and then seemed to develop into almost a political identity. Meaning, like what what was just like a personal viewpoint started to become socialized into like frameworks of how to view the entire world, you know, and viewing the entire world as with sometimes with a kernel of truth to it, which is the stickiest part, but seeing everything through the lens of a racial hierarchy, right? Seeing everything through the lens of, um, okay, well, there's a racial hierarchy when it comes to, let's say dating and the, you know, the racial hierarchy when it comes to women in the dating pool versus men in the dating pool. And, because you saw that hierarchy there, that meant that, you know, all of life should be like all of life in America was therefore dictated by these hierarchies and stuff. And you, you saw a sort of rigidness to that. And it was a political discussion. I thought like it, you know, to, to really get to really cut through that, I felt it was something that you needed to talk about politically. And uh, where am I trying to go with this? I guess what I'm saying is, when we talked, uh, you know, because I, I, we've tried to talk to mental health professionals before, but not many really kind of understand what we're trying to say. Sure. <laughs> uh, but in this case, I felt like we did have a sort of understanding about what we're trying to say is that um, it, it, it seemed like there were a lot of real world issues that needed to be sorted through. It wasn't just personal issues. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just like, Oh, a personal trauma happened to this person or, you know, um, you know, something about their relationship with their family. So it wasn't just that it seemed from our perspective as non-mental health professionals, just talking to people through pods and articles and stuff that there were questions about the real world that were, that were both unaddressed and, kind of fucking with their mental health game, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I guess uh, the, 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 the sort of gap exists between like, you know, what we are interested in and then what, what seems like mental health professionals are able to do. Um, so, mm-hmm. 
I, I think the the Reddit thing is interesting. I, I don't, I can't say I'm like I, I use Reddit very much, and I, I will sometimes recommend to students. Um, most of my patients are students at this point. Uh, they're running across certain things, like particularly like family issues, or let's say they're they're dealing with like an abusive parent or someone who has a personality disorder, like uh, as a parent or that kind of thing. You know that there are some really helpful threads on Reddit to to read because it is anonymous and people will write, you know, they pour their feelings out in there, but it is a, um, it, it is very easy to get lost. I often caution them. It's like, just be aware. Like it's very easy to dive deep and like, you know, to, to get to a space where you don't necessarily uh, want to be at. So, uh, I think because people, th- there's so much raw stuff that they stick on there because it is anonymous. And I think, I think that that is important because that's stuff that people are not talking about in a wider um, kind of venue. Uh, I think one thing that um, as a mental health person, I mean, as a, as a physician in general, um, people tell you all kinds of stuff, stuff they don't tell anybody. I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me, like, I've never told this to anybody. And, you know, this is like, this may be very, very uh, well be the first time I've met this person. So, I've known you for what, 30 minutes and you're already telling me something you've never told anybody else in however many years of living. I mean, that's crazy. So, I mean, it's an enormous privilege that people trust us with that kind of stuff. Um, but, I mean, to some extent, you know, we do have to earn that privilege. Um, and uh, the, 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 I think the, the, the earning of it is that um, the, the people – you have to cultivate a space where people feel safe and talking about these things. But you also have to respect them enough to ask about things that are personal. Um, and it just, it never, it just boggles my mind. Uh, maybe that's not the right word, but, um, you know, uh, there's so much hidden below the surface that people are not talking about that they will, they will disclose in a setting where they feel safe. Now, it may be stuff that is disturbing for other people to hear, um, and I think it's probably more positive that they're getting it out in some way, even if it's, you know, uh, uh, um, in a setting, let's say like the internet where there's like no accountability, there's very little accountability, but at least they're getting it out in some way rather than kind of keeping it up and bottling it inside. So, cause that usually doesn't do great things. So I, I don't know the, um, but I, I mean, I get what, very much what you're saying because like, I think there's it's very difficult to tease apart. This is a purely personal issue that you have because let's take something like, I don't know, systemic racism or something like that, right? It has clear personal like implications for your life. But then if you're in an environment, let's just say uh, you're in a workplace or you're in like a college campus or something like that, that's, that has all those issues there and you're stuck there, then you're essentially trapped in that situation, right? And with limited means, and of course, that's going to affect your mental health. And you're going to have, you know, um, if someone just look, checked off the different symptoms, they'll say, well, you have like, you know, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, you know, PTSD, all these different things, but never actually looked further into the reasons why, you know, those are just descriptive terms. They don't tell you like the why behind it. Um, and um, they, if they don't look uh, a little deeper into why someone is having those, those reactions, um, then they never really, uh, in some ways you're just like kind of putting a bandaid on it. Um, and so it, it is important, I think, uh, f- 
for uh, as a as a as a person who works in this field to 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 be curious and to continue to ask why because uh, there, there may be there may very well be nothing you can like physically do about it like can you can you solve like you know for let's say you're seeing someone who's who's black i mean can you solve like 400 plus years of you know <laughs> slavery and and the implications of that in this country no you can't necessarily but can you can you create a venue where they can someone can start to talk about that and t- start to make piece together how that may have affected their life if if it had um can you open the door to that i mean because everybody's a little bit different you can look at someone and say like well they look like they might be having this issue but until you ask i mean it, it you don't know really so um in, in many ways i mean uh my, my i i usually tell folks it's it's not i'm not here to tell you what to do my job is to help you like you know navigate that space um and and, and we'll, we'll work through those things together um but uh i think it's it's often presumptive for 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 someone to just come to a conclusion prematurely about some of these things without asking why if that makes any sense it uh, particularly the the uh, what you said about um, how so much goes unsaid. I think there was, uh, I think there is uh, this belief that what you see online, and I'm not even talking just about Asian Americans now. I'm talking about generally speaking, uh, the intensity of the discussion online sure. um, is a vocal minority. That it is like this sort of, uh, you know, really marginal, but now extremely outspoken group. And I think a lot of people like to, let's take the like issue of incels, right? Like we've seen like, we've seen like, you know, mass crime, like mass murder committed by people in incel groups, right? Like what, you know, we find out that they're in these groups. And I think that those, events uh create this sort of narrative that like oh yeah you see these like really fucked up dudes online and they all like pack into these spaces and then they start uh egging each other on to commit murder which did happen but i think it does in my opinion and i can't prove this but i think that that's an easy cover for i think the hidden truth which is that a lot of the stuff we're seeing is a lot more widespread and these are common thoughts among common people yeah that they if you go online you'll see that a lot of people are uh expressing things about race and gender that uh, and sexuality that are uh kind of verboten in regular life right uh, people have thoughts about that stuff. And what I've noticed, I think, is that a lot of people who seem wishy-washy about it uh, or who avoid the topic about it in real life actually have pretty damn like strong views about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. sometimes and when yeah. it comes out, you know, it is a lot less rational and a lot more dug in and committed than you would expect. And that kind of was eye-opening for me. But that's how I think it is. I think that's how it is. I don't know if you agree with that. That's always been a I do. suspicion I do. of mine. I do. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's right in your face. Like um, I've, I've, I've since I've, especially since I've moved, I, I did a lot of my uh, residency training and stuff like that. That's, you know, it's like where you've already finished medical school and then you 
have a certain period of like apprenticeship. Like usually it's for a psychiatrist is usually four years. Mine was ended up being six, but um, that was in New England. Uh, and then I worked there uh, for a while. And then um, we, we relocated to central Pennsylvania to be a bit closer to family. And, you know, it's just a different, it's a different uh, part of the country. It's, um, I had gone to uh, medical school here uh, as well in, in, at Penn State. And um, so I, I'd had a little bit of an exposure to kind of the, the area. Um, but it, it's, it's fairly homogenous and um, it's largely white. Uh, there are pockets where there are um, minorities, but it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's definitely as much as say like, you know, um, say like New Jersey, which is not that far away or, you know, parts of New England. There's a, there's a reason why it's called the South of the North. Um, so the, uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen so much blatant um, racism that has come out of people's mouths when, when they are like when, when someone's like psychotic or when somebody is uh, intoxicated, like there's no filter. Right. And so all kind of stuff comes out and this, this is like, this is generally your experience in Pennsylvania or is this like uh, working with at, at your job? Well, this is, this has been like, I would say this has been, you see a lot as a psychiatrist, if you work in a hospital, like an emergency room, you'll see this regardless of where you go. Um, but I would say much, much more so in, in, in where, where I live now. And I, I can't say I like saying that. I don't necessarily like thinking of my community in that way, but I mean, it, it's, it's my, it's the reality I have to deal with. I don't really do that kind of work anymore, um, but I it, I was always, you know, it, at this point, I would say it takes a lot to kind of shock me, but I've been sort of shocked many times with some of the stuff that people will say. And granted, they're not in their right, you know, they're in a clear state of mind, but that that the stuff that they said got in there somehow. It's not like it just, you know, came from the ether. And I think we've, you know, you see a lot of that been unhinged over the past couple of years. Um, and uh, I would say one of the campuses where I work at, it wasn't a, a week or two after the election in 2016 that people would scrawl all kinds of racial kinds of things on the sidewalk and things like that. I don't know if it was students. I don't know if it was people from the local community, but it's 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 there it's i, I think it's the, the way i kind of look at it now is it's there it's brimming below the surface and i think people need to find a way of channeling that i i, I will say that you know in many ways i think you know we all have our biases we all have our prejudices i would go so far as to say we're all a little bit racist in our own ways and so the, i think the thing is like you know it's part of our work as people to 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 kind of learn what those things are um because uh, it'll change how you interact. I mean, if you race, if you have children, it's going to change how you how how you influence them in their views. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's been that's, that aspect of things has been eye opening in in in, in various ways, um, and not not necessarily always in a good way. I think, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the 
the environment online was very much like that as well. I, for, for me, like I was on Reddit like a long time before a lot of other people were. And I, I Reddit actually used to be uh, a pretty like highbrow place, if you believe it or not. There used to be Reddit was actually like the, the highbrow anonymous, you know, um, upvoting site. The other one was Dig. Dig was the, you know, the, 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 the shitty lowbrow one. Right. And Dig went out of business. And there was one day where like everyone from Dig, like in one or two days, migrated over to Reddit and just destroyed the place. Right. Mm. And so Reddit became what it is today, which is a is seen to be a more lowbrow kind of place, whereas before it was seen as more academic and more intellectual. Now it is what it is. And uh I started noticing and when I started and I wasn't interested in politics so much as I was like just in uh, you know, like nerdy kind of, you know, science subs and stuff like that, history subs. Uh, but then, you know, when Trump came out and uh, started, uh, began his campaign, I started kind of going more into political uh, and Asian American race specific subs. And, and I, and, and, and I was attracted more to like places like our politics where people were talking about this. And I was shocked at how, casually racist people were uh and particularly towards asians because there seemed to be online at least in nominally liberal spaces an idea that a generally accepted community ethic that there are things that you cannot say uh about certain protected minority groups you do there's certain things you 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 can't engage in homophobic stuff you can't engage in anti-black stuff sure. but for some reason when it came to asians everyone was down with ethnic jokes cheap ethnic jokes not necessarily like hate but like you know just cheap ethnic jokes and and stuff like that and i realized and i started noticing too if you gave pushback on it you were seen as sort of like you know shrill you were seen huh. as you know uh, making, you know, oh, yeah, we can't make jokes anymore, things like this. Right, 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 sure. Uh, and it was, infuri- it was kind of infuriating for me in a way. And so I, it, that sort of experience started pushing me towards these Asian-American spaces. And what I found was, holy crap, people are angry as hell. You know, I was yeah. like, wow, I didn't, you know, they're really, really angry. And that sort of, in, in my uh, experience, started illuminating a little bit about Asian-American people I knew in real life. I think that the stuff that I was seeing online was sort of the unspoken stuff that a lot of them, they, a lot of the people I knew in real life probably carried with them, you know, on a day to day basis, but couldn't really, couldn't really say it. Uh, and I felt in a way, like you said, it was healthy, I think for it to get out there into the open a little bit for people to express it online. Uh, but there needed to be an actual proper discussion about it. There needed to be, you know what I mean? Like right. it couldn't just be just sort people of flaming, flame uh, flaming and, and yeah. unloading. Yeah. Right. Like you should come here and look for an actual constructive discussion. And I think for the most part that happened, but with effort, you know, it took a lot of effort by a lot of people to push it and nudge it in that direction. Yeah. But I think my suspicion is that that was a net positive for like, you know, public mental health. <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, I, yeah. at least there's an outlet for. I mean, I often when I think about this, like I often, I think about. Um, so some of my, I, you know, I grew up in the '80s. Some of my favorite movies when I was a kid are a lot of these movies that were um, done by John Hughes, like Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, some kind of wonderful. Um, yeah, and 
it's very interesting. Like for some people, they watch those films and there's like instant nostalgia because they lived a life like that. And but I I I when I watched those films, I um when I was watching them as a as a, a teenager, what was depicted on screen was was very very different from my own life, and uh, I was never going to have a life like that. So they were kind of educational in a way because I was like, all right, this is how a certain subset of the world operates. Like the people in my high school that um, are, are you know have this kind of life. This is kind of like, I, like I didn't really know any better. There was no internet then or there, or there was, I guess, but it was sort of very rudimentary. Um, I, I kind of viewed them as educational, but a lot of those films, like if when it, I, I've gone back and rewatched most of them, and I, I still, I still like them for what they are. And I, I really enjoy them. And there is a, they, they hit a certain moment in time, but there are certain characters and portrayals of things. And um, that you would not, I would hope you wouldn't see today. Uh, and I think they, you know, they 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 depict a univer- more or less universally white sort of um, middle to upper class kind of experience, um, and that, that was you know sort of the, I guess the majority. But um, so when you had people of color in there, I mean they're often uh, playing a, a, like a caricature um, or a stereotype. Um, just think of like, you know, Long Duck Dong and 16 Candles. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but um, I mean, there's so few roles, I think, for Asian Americans that you kind of, people had to kind of just take what they could get. Um, but I mean, it's a pretty like, it's funny, but on the other hand, it's like also a pretty like offensive kind of uh, uh, role, that particular one. Um, and I think when, I think I'll, when you say that to other people, it, uh, especially if someone who isn't necessarily, you know, someone who's white or someone who's never really thought about these kind of issues before, they may look at you kind of funny because they're like, well, but that's that was his role in the movie. It was just to be comic relief, right? But it's also at the expense of like, you didn't necessarily have to make him, you know, you could have, you don't, you, you didn't necessarily have to play into the, 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 the cultural kind of stereotype. Um, and uh, so, I think that the fact that that got made at the time, because I think that they, uh, I think if it got made today, I think people would kind of, I would hope would kind of like, you know, flag it. But at the time, you know, there was, I don't think there was necessarily that idea. And so many people grew up watching films like that and many, many others like that. And they get these ideas. Like if you, if you grew up in a town like where I live, where there's like, you know, you know, a handful of people of color, really, uh, there's more because it's a university town. But I mean, you know, just sort of generally speaking, especially some of the surrounding places. I mean, your, your, your idea of what, um, say like a black person is, or, you know, someone from somewhere in Asia is, is, is going to be through like, you know, media that you consume. And, uh, if that's problematic, then it leads to these weird ideas or, or what you get from say your parents and who knows where they got theirs. Right. Um, so I, I think, I think a lot of this stuff is like, uh, there's a element that's kind of bred in, I don't know if that's the right word, but kind of like permeates the like milieu of like the culture that is problematic in many ways. And so, um, when you bring that up, uh, and start to think about these things, it's like, wow, there's, there's a lot that I was kind of inf- may have been influenced by other people were influenced by that I had no control over, you know? 
Yeah, that that specific. Uh, so I, I watched that movie a long time ago, and um, but I, I, I've I've heard more about Long Duck Dong than I remember about him. Uh, but Chris, do you remember this came up in um, that movie, uh, the Netflix one? Um, it, it was about oh to uh, to all the boys, to oh, all the boys yeah, I yeah. loved, to all the boys I loved, and so she, I think she played. It's about a mixed race girl. Yeah. And that scene comes up in the movie. <laughs> and I think her boy her boyfriend or her friend, I forget, is like, "Isn't this super racist?" And she's like, <laughs> "Yeah." And he's like, "Then why do you watch it?" And he was and she's like, "Well, you don't watch it for him, you know." <laughs> like Yeah. Uh, right. It was it was uh, that yeah. was a very interesting scene cuz I was like, they they it seems that was not an accident, right? They specifically brought that scene up i thought that was very interesting but it seemed to be a sort of like communal uh it seemed to be like some sort of communal like memory uh of a lot of asian americans that was like you know you you might have been having fun in the john hughes universe but then when your asian face showed up this is how they responded to you you know later i think in watching specifically to john hughes actually i started noticing that there were it wasn't just Long Duck Dong. There were there were numerous like ra- like kind of um, John Hughes has been known to be I think racially uh, sort of regressive in many ways. Uh, I remember like I was watching though it doesn't you know there's so few minority characters that doesn't really show up. But I was watching um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and he has this exchange with this sort of like you know suspect looking Latino guy that's going to park the Ferrari. And then, you know, they have this really weird, you know, they have this really weird condescending exchange. And then uh, the Latino dude and a black dude, you know, sort of take the Ferrari for a joyride. And it was a throwaway thing. It didn't really mean anything. But on the other hand, and I talked to some black friends about it. They're like, oh, yeah, John Hughes, he's known for that shit. You know, (laughs) I was like, oh, really? Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it. It. I hear you on the John Hughes stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's unusual for um, for folks of that time to be presented with a role that's kind of like neutral. You're like, you know, if you were like, if you were Asian, like you were probably like, you know, a, like, you know, a martial arts dude in like, you know, an action movie. Um, you know, you were probably a, a thug um, or you were like, a, you know, sort of comedic relief. I mean, there wasn't much else. I mean, I'm trying to think of, or, or if you were a woman, I mean, then, then you were like, you know, a Karate Kid too. Um, I forget the lady's name, you know. But I mean, the, 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 then it was like a romantic kind of thing. But you know, there wasn't. I don't know how much you know depth there was to some of those roles. Um, but it, it wasn't like a, um, uh, it wasn't like a story that was told about you in in many ways. So like you kind of fell into one of these things, and I think. I think it's hard because like, you know, uh, obviously the people who are portraying these folks, they have to, you know, they want to eat, you know, they, they, they have to take what they can get. But on the other hand, like, you know, what are you supposed to do with, with a role like that? <laughs> you know, and that's, that's obviously whoever watches it, especially someone who is like, you know, who, who's never met like, you know, an, an Asian person in their entire life up to that point. And so they're, you know, that's the view that they get. And, um, yeah, it sucks. I mean, to that point, Chris, and I'm curious what you you think about this. Is this has been a long, uh, long standing uh, debate for me? Is 
I, you know, obviously I agree with that notion that the representation of Asian Americans on, on screen is not, leaves a lot to be desired. And re, I mean, there's been a lot of improvement and uh, whatever, but it's, I still think there's a, it leaves a lot to be desired. And uh, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, if you look at the way, say like a lot of um, white people who are critical of media generally, you know, have taken the opinion that, uh, you know, why are you even looking to movies, right? Like why, um, uh, and this, this might, this might tie into what you were saying about seeing these as, as sort of educational Josh, uh, about the, uh, John Hughes movies, but like, you know, I guess my, my, uh, take on it or my, uh, longed for outcome is the, uh, abandonment of relying on, uh, you know, silver screen depic- depictions of people, uh, a particular of ourselves uh, to get a sense of like our social role uh, because, you know, no matter what it is, they can, they can sand off the rough edges a little bit uh, and, and it, you know, they don't have to make it as horrific as a long duck dong or whatever, uh, but it's still going to be prescriptive in some sense of like what your social role is. And uh, you know, and it's not going to be necessarily uh, a, 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 you know, great intentions right it's it, and it's it's not you know it i think it, it it strips a lot of autonomy away people have not really taken well to that notion i think a lot of people when when i say hey you know i think this obsession with hollywood or whatever is just net negative like i'm not even sure that any of this matters they'll say of course it matters i mean media media representation drives so much of how we're seen in society and stuff and i can't really say that that's not true but on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but if you accept that, you're just sort of like infinitely stuck and you're at the mercy of like what Hollywood's going to decide to do with Asian faces uh, going forward. You know what I mean? And uh, I've I've tried to stick to my guts on that. But like on the other hand, I, I, I can understand like especially when you're younger and you don't have like the benefit of decades of life experience sure. under you yeah, to yeah. inform who you are. You're looking to Hollywood. You know what I mean? Well, I think yeah. so. I think one, one thing that um – I guess movies are probably just the biggest thing. And it's this, it's this sort of like, uh, it's going to come off wrong, but it's like the lowest common denominator in some ways. Cause you have to think the least in many ways. It's like, it's, it's all the story is done for you. It's presented for you. So in a book, I mean, you can kind of imagine the character to be whatever you want, unless the author describes it in a certain way in a comic book, you know, there's, or like an illustrated book or whatever, like there's a visual kind of thing, but they can sound whatever you, whatever you want them to be like in a movie, it's all done for you. And so I think that's it's it's um, it's maybe the I don't say the truest to life because that's probably not necessarily correct, but it's the closest to like I think reality that all these different forms of storytelling kind of is at least the way we have it now I guess that I think that um, that probably gets brought up a lot, but like I don't know I think you could you could you could say the same thing about lots of other forms of entertainment. Um, uh, books, you know, how many books, um, have an Asian character as the main character that's, that's meant for like a mainstream, like, can you met, like, you know, there's no reason say like, I don't know, like what was the popular, Harry Potter, like there's no, I mean, does it, did it matter necessarily what his racial like component, you know, his background was not really. Right. I mean, it's it a story about a kid. Right. But, but, um, so you know, how many, how many books and, or how many comic books, I mean, have like a, or whatever, you know, are, um, are done with, uh, 
this kind of in mind. I think the default often is like, well, we'll just do it of a, a white person because that's sort of like, you know, that's sort of the default. It's interesting, like when I read books like to my kids um, and you have to often actively seek out picture books for children um, where there are non-white faces, right? Um, and so, because my children are growing up in an area that is fairly homogenous, I want them to be just, you know, we've taken them places and, you know, travel and that kind of stuff, you know, before, before COVID. Um, to expose them to different things, I want them to get, get a sense of the, this is they're growing up in a world that where people look and do things that are different from the way they may see it, you know, at their at their home. And that's okay. Um, but they, uh, when you look at stuff that's written for children, um, unless it's it was specifically designed for this, it's not. You may not. You may just find like um, sort of fairly homogenous kind of like uh, illustrations there. And so sometimes you'll see like occasional like you know there'll be like a blackface or like someone who's like darker skinned, um, but uh, it's it feels like it's a, uh, let me do this because, uh, you know, it's sort of diversity for the sake of diversity rather than say like, all right, this is like an organic thing where I wanted to create this character who looks a particular way um, because that's how I envision them. And that's what I want to show to the audience. So, I mean, I think like a, to like a tokenism kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, like, um, you know, these comic, I, I've, I don't know much about them, but I mean, like the, the comic book thing is so popular, um, the movie and the, like the movies made of comic books and how many, like, I don't know, I don't know most of the names of them, but like how many comic book heroes are of people of color? I, like, I can't think of any Latin ones. I can't think of. Well, what they're doing, what they're doing recently is they're taking a lot of, uh, like traditionally white characters like Captain America and like literally handing the reins of that particular like universe, that character to like POC, uh, faces. Um, and so it's like, yeah. this, it's, it's this weird thing where it's a, it's a push by Marvel, whoever to include diversity into their movies. But it's also the thing where it's only bestowed through like the hand of like white power. Like you, you're, you're yeah. given this thing. It's a gift by right. white people. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that because, you know, if you're going to change the the fundamental nature of the character, the way it's been for all this time, just to satisfy like a, I don't know, a subset of folks, then like, why are you, why are you doing that? Um, I think it's like, I don't know. I, the other thing too is like, um, you know, you think about the reverse situation for all the times when they, you know, they, they could have had a, an Asian actor or um, in that role and they went with someone who was white. You know, I think of like the Kung Fu um, series from the 70s. I don't know if they actually... With Keith Carradine? Yeah. I don't know if they did things to make him specifically kind of look more Asian or whatever. Um, and I don't remember exactly the his his exact kind of makeup. But that, that, whole, um, that whole idea of like, you know... I don't know, a white guy goes to, uh, goes to Asia, gets whatever, and then, um, yeah. you know, kind of comes back uh, and is now a fish out of water. I mean, it's an interesting story and I think it's, it's, it's been done a lot, but 
this is a, this is a wider thing. Like, why do we have to keep telling that story? Like, you know, that's it, it, let's, let's tell us tell a different story. You know, I, I think I want to go back to the point you were making earlier about uh, lowest common denominator because I think that is uh, kind of answers the question that we're asking now, because I, th- I think all this is deeply linked to this idea of mythology, uh, the kind of the, the things and the ideas that we continuously pass down and retell. Um, mm. And I think I'm, I'm coming at this cause I've just been getting off like a big young kick. Uh, he separates it, uh, this triad into the conscious, personal conscious and collective unconscious. Mm-hmm. And within the collective unconscious, that's where myth really kind of uh, grows the significance. And is, it is the thing that you kind of pass down from generation to generation. Um, and I think what is really enlightening about watching these movies that are like pretty lowbrow, like uh, John Hughes or, or Marvel or whatever, to a lesser extent Marvel actually, I think, is that they're going to be a little bit more... Um, vulgar but like upfront about the mythology that they're trying to tell right. uh, one of the movies that we watched recently uh together with plan a was uh gremlins um, gremlins okay yeah 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 and i think that is one of those examples of a movie that is like pretty lowbrow and like kind of tactless and also just really unfiltered i i was just shocked at how Honest, I think, it is the portrayal of uh, particularly like anti-Asian racism at that time, mm. but it's still wow. pretty prevalent now. Um, wow. And there's there's a lot to impact there. I don't want to go into like the whole uh, do a whole analysis of of that particular <laughs> movie, but I, I think I think there is a lot of value in analyzing like these um, like young adult lit and things that are mm. uh, targeted at children specifically. Yeah. Um, that being said, I do agree with Teen that this, like, when you become hyper focused on analyze, analyzing and deriving a lot of um, value from these movies, from Hollywood in general, even like the highbrow stuff, uh, I it, some of it just oftentimes feels like kind of an emotional toilet. What is your what? What is the end goal here? Is the end goal to like? derive like what is this uh mythology that we keep retelling ourselves that obviously isn't true has a lot of problems and needs to be examined or is your goal to try and like get hollywood get young adult fiction get whatever uh institution you're kind of examining and reform it so that's not doing that anymore which i'm not i'm i'm not saying as a value judgment you shouldn't become an actor or a screenwriter and try to change that um, I've, I'm pretty ignorant about those worlds. I don't know what it's actually like. I think it is important for like young kids specifically too, but even adults to have that representation. I think there is value in it. But um, I think for us who are kind of like not involved with that industry and kind of watching on the sidelines, it, there's a lot of value that you can uh, derive from kind of pulling that stuff apart and uh, putting putting a closer lens on it without also maintaining some distance. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting though. Like, sorry, uh, but you know, as they're trying to quote, clean it up and, and offer, uh, more, you know, POC representation, et cetera. Like you realize that, you know, it's, they're not really omnipotent, right? Like they're still, 
uh, underlying cultural assumptions that were forming these things in the first place. And if you try to contravene them, as you can see now, you get culture wars. You know, you get real, uh, real life antagonisms about what they're doing uh, in terms of trying to diversify, you know, what were formerly all white comic book heroes or whatever they you get you get really, really, you know, sharp divisions in real life when they try to turn uh, you know what? What was a man, a male character, into a female character? Uh, you know they can't. They don't have like Hollywood doesn't have full reign to do whatever it wants. It tries to do it, but then you realize like there is still an underlying cultural assumption there uh, that will resist that, and you see it. Like you see these like yeah. wars that right. people have had over making like you know the Ghostbusters women. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> like. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one thing too, um, this is maybe another way of looking at it. And I, I forget who I, I heard this from. I wish I remember because, but um, I, I think, you know, if you grew up, uh, you know, watching these films or reading these stories or whatever, reading, you know, consuming this, these different things um, and you didn't see or experience people that, you know, kind of look like you. Um I don't know. Like I, I just, when I was a kid, I didn't expect it. You know, I did, I really didn't expect anything like that. And so, uh, uh, I, I like, you know, I don't know, you like, I don't know, star Wars or something like that. You know, um, when I was watching that, when I was a kid, it, it didn't even really enter my head that, um, you know, you have like a largely white cast and you have Billy D Williams, who's black and, and you have a bunch of aliens can't really tell, but like, there's not necessarily a, like a ton of representation there that I can like sort of widespread. But as a kid, it didn't really matter. Like I didn't expect there to be like any of these stories to be written for me. I'd, I'd never experienced any, certainly not as a mixed race person. There was, there was nothing. Um, and I, I didn't expect it. So I think, you know, in, in one way it, it, it does teach you, um, how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes because the main character doesn't look like you, a different background. You don't identify with that person. Um, but there may still be some element of like wish fulfillment there. Like how many people wanted to be. Actually, let me, let me push, push you on that a little bit. You think that's true? I mean, I grew up with star Wars too. I, I don't know if I identified with it less than say like a white friend did, you know, like I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know necessarily if, Han and Luke, or, you know, let's take those two being white, necessarily made the story any more theirs than mine. Right. I'm not sure about no, that. Is it, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I don't, we may be saying the same thing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just didn't think of it that way. I, I, I'm not sure that the white person necessarily had a racial identification with it and nor, and thus nor did yeah, I. Yeah, exactly. No, that's right? exactly what I'm saying is that it, it didn't, it didn't matter. It wasn't until later, like as an adult. You're like, huh, well, and I, I don't think that detracted like Indiana Jones or that, those kind of things like that. Did it matter? Like, so you, you put yourself in Harrison Ford's as a kid, like in that thing. It's like, oh, that's awesome. I, I want to, there's a part of me that wants to, to have adventures like this guy. Does it matter like what he looks like? It didn't matter to me as a kid. Um, and so I think it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me until an Asian person showed up. And then it kind of warped the field a little bit because then there's there was a sort of racial sure. identification thing going. Yeah, on, you know what I mean. It was it, it, in a way it almost made it 
more difficult if there was an Asian character yeah. in it. Yeah. In a weird way, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like Indiana Jones is fine up until he has a little Asian sidekick. Right, yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, yeah. oh wait, there's an Asian dude in this? No, so I'm the sidekick, right? Right. Like, right, right. Yeah. right? It's that that would happen. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I necessarily I don't know. I don't remember if I necessarily th- was thought of it necessarily in that way. And I grew up in a, in a largely white kind of town. It was like so I, I I didn't know anybody else who was mixed. I mean, I knew like one or two other people who were Asian and that was kind of it. And I just kind of accepted that that was just kind of the reality of things. I mean, I knew that the way I grew up was different than what other people had. You know, we didn't have like, yeah, I think there was a lot of people who were Catholic. Um, so they would all talk about like their communions or those, I don't even really actually know what those things are, but like they would talk about these things in school and I would be like, huh, uh, I didn't really understand it. And there's a part of me that kind of like almost wanted to like participate just because you don't necessarily want to be different. But, um, but I didn't understand. It. I knew that that was not my life and I didn't, I didn't really care that much about it, but I don't think that um, I often wonder what would have been like to grow up in like a, uh, in an environment where there was, um, I don't know, like there was, you can identify more. So you, you'd brought up the idea of like choice and, um, I know as a kid, uh, when this is like a, a, like a minor thing, I guess, but I've heard this from other people. Like when we had to fill out like standardized tests forms, like there was always, there was usually a demographic kind of thing. And they would, when, when I was in, I remember in first being aware of this in first grade, we had to fill the first time I'd taken a standardized test and then there were four choices and it was like Caucasian or maybe it wasn't, it was for, for, little kids. So, it's probably like white, black. And I don't know if they said, I think they had like, it was like Chinese or other or something like that. And then there was like, uh, uh, there was like Hispanic. And then there was, they said, pick only one. And I remember like not really knowing what to do. Um, and it was like one of these things where you had to take the test like over the course of a week. So, every day you would have to fill out that form. And so, I was like, well, do I pick one or do I pick another one is like what if i pick if i pick one then what happens to my other parent am i kind of saying that that's less important i remember grappling with this as like you know a six or seven year old or however old i was oh wow yeah and i'm not really knowing what's you know i don't remember i think i think sometimes i would sometimes i would pick white sometimes i would pick asian or, or whatever whatever the like the way they characterized it at the time just to kind of like i'm a flip-flop and just to kind of like, like, well, I don't know, I'll, I'll be different today. And um, neither one was entirely like correct. And then eventually uh, there, there was another uh, box um, like a number of years later. And then since then, I've usually checked the other box. Um, and uh, there's usually like a space next to it. And sometimes I'll write in mixed or sometimes I'll, I will check in both if they say you can pick more than one. But it's like a little thing like where where you're kind of like uh you're asked to make a choice by society not because that's necessarily um important you know uh but it is important to somebody i guess um that you fit in a certain like uh category that they can easily kind of like identify you as did you feel a particular attachment to when the times that you did uh mark mix down uh was that something that like 
made sense or brought clarity to your identity more so than uh, marking multiple? It's a good question. I will admit that there is an element of like, what, what, why is it your business and why do you want to know? And like, like who cares? Um, and so I, I, like when people would ask that, because I, you know, I don't know if you've gotten this, uh, um, Chris, but I mean, like, uh, ever since I was a kid, like people would ask, so, you know, the, you know, it's like the, where are you from guessing game kind of thing. And, you know, I never really cared that much about it, but I remember like when my dad, so my dad's white and he has a pretty like, you know, in some ways like, um, perverse sense of humor. Um, so I'd probably take after him in, in many ways, but he would like, I guess that we would have to go to like family gatherings and there'd be people who would ask me, I guess. So his family is, is, um, is like ethnically Jewish, but he's, he's not, he doesn't practice. So he never been to like a synagogue or anything like that. And they would ask me, um, you know, which side is the Jewish side and which side is the like Chinese side. Um, and my dad would always tell me to like point to my rear end and slap it and say, this is the Jewish side <laughs> and then walk away. And I, and as a kid, I had like, you know, as a little kid, I had no, I, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, what does that, what does that mean? Right. What? And so they're, they're literally asking like, so, so which side, which, which part of your body right, yeah, yeah. is, is this, is the, and, and my dad would be like, you know, like, you know, fuck you people like you know i'm gonna show you it's a kiss my yeah, ass it's a, basically yeah. and i'm I'm kind of glad he like like i didn't get it as a kid but I, looking back i'm kind of glad that he uh <laughs> he had me do that because like you know who, like the 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 people who are asking you know like they're probably like old old dudes or whatever and they just it was it was a joke to them right and um and it always used to piss my dad off because at the time like this was like, uh, it was probably like early eighties or whatever. And, um, uh, when they got married, they, I mean, this was only like, this is really actually, actually just a couple of years after like, you know, uh, what was that case? The loving case. Um, that was, I think that was like 1967. They got married in the, in the seventies. Um, so it was really a couple of years after that where it was even legal to actually marry somebody who is not your own race in the U S and they had a really rough time um, with with both sides of their family, um, and a, a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, um, and it was, I think, pretty unusual at the time for for people to. They used to get a lot of comments, a lot of stares, and that kind of thing. And I think there was also like from my mother's own family. I mean, um, there was the idea if you were dating like a, a foreigner, then uh, you know you were a sex worker. Um, so, I mean, just like all these, I mean, from both sides. And so, I think they were sensitive to those kind of issues and, um, you know, they kind of wanted to protect their kids. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we never, we very rarely have ever talked about these kinds of issues, but I mean, the, uh, I, mean, I do remember that specific thing, that incident. And I, and I, uh, when my dad would tell me to do that. And um, it, it's weird, kind of looking back on on that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. the, the question that kind of comes to mind for me then is: uh, Do you feel like there was ever a point at which you had you were kind of like forced to, or you decided to of your own accord that you had to kind of identify as one side or the other? 
That's a really interesting question. I, I know in your one of your previous podcasts, you, uh, someone had brought up the idea that men tend to pick one yes, over the other. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I think when I was a kid, because there were so few Asian kids around, like I just didn't naturally really identify with them. I went to like a, for a while, I went to like a, a Chinese school, um, like on a Sunday, I think. We spoke some uh, Mandarin in my household, um, but did, but did not, your dad I mean, speak it at all, or is it just your yeah, mom? Yeah, he, okay. he he did he does speak some. Um, I mean, he lived in Taiwan for a year, uh, but you know, most of it was in English. My my mom, you know, uh, when you when you talk to her on the phone, you would never know that she's not you know native native speaker, though she's she gets that question a lot, like when people see her in person, like do you speak English kind of thing. There's another whole mm-hmm. other thing, but I mean. Um, we spoke English at home for the most part, but yeah, I think, you know, it was, I think they, parents both felt it was important. Like I understand some aspect of this part of my culture. Um, but as I got older, no, I mean, I've always resisted kind of making that, that distinction, that choice. I mean, it's, I think there's an odd thing as human beings, like we, when we, when we have choices available to us, we get overwhelmed and we want it to be simplified, you know, I guess apparently Henry Ford, I think like the model T only came in one color, like black, because he felt like people would just get overwhelmed with choices and they needed just to be told what to do, you know, when it came to that kind of stuff. But then when we don't have choices, um, then we want more, you know? And so it's, it's a weird thing. I think like when you're, cause racial identity, um, is, is such a kind of like key component of how people, uh, in this country, I identify with each other that people always wanted to know, and they would always say like, "Well, which which is it?" Uh, and they would get and they would get frustrated sometimes, like because the the folks who are from one group wouldn't necessarily identify, w- wouldn't see me in that way. Like, so if I I, I never really did um, things that were like traditionally like Jewish. Um, I never was had a bar mitzvah or anything like that. But um, I have a, I have a like a sort of Jewish sounding last name and. Uh, so people will, will automatically kind of identify with with that and then point that out to me. It's like, well, this is this is your heritage, and you really need to focus on that. And and it gets frustrating to them that I was like, well, you know, I wasn't raised that way. And um, um, you know, I remember my father actively choosing he didn't want to have anything to do with organized religion uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, that that gets you know kind of frustrating to them. And the the flip side, like when I would go. I often would um, avoid a lot of the the groups like, you know, Chinese Students Club or uh, there was even a Taiwanese Students Association like where I went to college. And um, I would sometimes go because they would have food and they would have chi- like, you know, Chinese food that they would have. <laughs> like, but, but they would, they would often, they, they kind of didn't really, if they, if I didn't know, if I knew somebody there, um, then it was, it was, it was okay. But, um, if I didn't know anybody, if I just sort of showed up, there would usually be someone who's a, you know, a, a well-meaning person, um, but would come up to me and say like, you know, can I help you? You know, what do you, essentially why are you here? I would, you know, I, I would give my little pedigree and they'd be like, oh, okay, well go get some food then. It's like, and the part of me, they'd be like, well, fuck you too, you know? And I wouldn't go back, yeah. you know? So I think when I would fill out those forms, um, those demographic forms, where it's mixed uh, versus one or the other. There's a part of me that was, it was, I don't want to say took perverse pleasure, but I was like, you know, like, 
why are you asking? Just kind of leave, leave me alone, you know? So I'm going to yeah. be as vague as possible. Or I'd give like a smart ass kind of answer. Like when someone asks like, you know, where are you from? Where are you really from? You know, I like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm from New Jersey. And like, I, no, 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 I, really. <laughs> and then we get frustrated. But yeah, so anyway. Yeah, I, I, I a lot of times I feel that the question of like, which side do you identify more with is a bit disingenuous. And, you know, it, it's, it's a hard thing, I think, for anyone in our perspective to kind of argue against because if you look at the statistics, it's not, it's not a particularly fine thing. So, uh, someone from uh, the Plan A discussion group shared a, a Pew study that came out and I think it was 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about uh, race and social connections for mixed race people. Um, and they asked questions to people who were specifically like half white, half black, and then half white, half Asian. And there's also some breakdowns of like other ethnicities. Um, but what was surprising is that for people who are half black, half white, they're much more likely to identify uh, with the black side than the white side. Um, in fact, even more so, were they more likely to identify the black side than say that they were mixed? I, uh, I have a stats right here. It's 58% to black, uh, 19 to white. Whereas the white Asian uh, people who were asked this questionnaire, um, 60% were likely to say that they were identifying as white. And then 33% uh, said that they identified as Asian. Whereas 55%, a higher percentage than the uh, people who are half black, half white, identified as mixed. Um, and I, I think it's hard. I think this is a statistics that is hard, but not surprising to most people. I think there's kind of a, a notion that if you're half white, half Asian, that you kind of, you have like this chameleon-like identity in which you can use whatever situ- like the situation requires to um, uh, kind of, use it to your advantage as a political identity. Like that's a very negative idea of how people think of that identity. And I don't actually think that is true. I Like when I look at those statistics now these days, I think it, it's emblematic of um, Frank Chin's idea of racist hate versus racist love. Uh, the idea of like white people expressing like racism through like one way, which is, uh, generalize uh, hate and like um, disgust for your racial identity, depending on the political circumstances. Whereas where racist love is sort of like a thing of like the Charlie Chan, you know, the comedic relief, the a lot of the racial predictions, uh, uh, depictions of like model minority. Um, and I think a lot of that gets projected on uh, half half Asian, half uh, white people, because I, th- I, I think the question of, um, like going back to the idea of choice, like, I think the, I, the, the question of asking someone who is mixed race, specifically half white, like which, if, if it is a choice for you in your own development to choose whether or not you're half white, half Asian, um, it, it, I don't think it actually works. I think it goes back to this idea of like a collective unconsciousness um, in the Jungian sense of like, because that is so directly tied to uh, sort of like the generational, um, I don't want to say trauma, but like the things that you inherit. 
specifically. Mm-hmm. The, the, the stories and the narratives that you are told that kind of formulate your own sense of self and yeah. that is passed down to your own children or whoever, you know, whether, whether it's at you work. Mean, you, mean, you mean about your family or, or cultural uh, stories or myths? I mean, I think for Young, he defined it as like a much broader thing. Like he, he, he saw a collective unconscious as a thing that was, you could examine, you could find consistent patterns across cultures. So like this would be true in Catholicism, it would be true in Zen Buddhism or whatever. My, I, I, I think what the most helpful thing to think of in this regard is a uh, kind of an American conception of that that is based highly in falsehood. Like I think the, what is unique about America is that it thinks it's unique. It doesn't. It thinks it, it's separate. Its idea of mythology thinks it's separate from like some idea of like communism in the East or like even like European enlightenment. I think it thinks itself as something that is exceptional. Uh, the problem with that is it's very hard. And I think this is a thing that is becoming abundantly clear uh, in our current political climate is this is a story that deteriorates with every like passing of baton from generation to generation because it's not actually the- based... The American exceptionalism kind of idea. I mean, right, right. Because the idea of right. America, yeah, I agree with America that. being exceptional is that it, like, okay, what what did we do that was exceptional in our very young and short history? Uh, democracy, you know, in liberalism, whatever, whatever of those romantic ideas you want to say. I think it was World War II. I think that was the big. I mean, I, I really think that's really at the end of the day, it's it's about World War II and the emergence of, and that's why our obsession with superheroes is that's, this sort of like righteous, really super, good point. I mean, that's what we are. Yeah. yeah. There's this comic book actually, um, that I, uh, recently read. It's, um, it's called whatever happens to the world of tomorrow. Author's name is Brian fees. Uh, he illustrated it as well. Uh, it's an independent comic. Uh, it's like, like a graphic novel. Um, and he touches on this very idea. Like this is, this is, um, the idea of America being the best, you know, was sort of this, you know, in the, in the like late thirties, like pre world war two being like, if we look ahead into the future, you know, um, uh, jetpacks for everybody flying cars, no disease, these kinds of things like that. Um, and it didn't come to pass, but, but there was a, it was a period of time, like after the war where it was like, uh, there was, we're going to fight communism now. And, and, and then part of that was the space race. You know, we put a man on the moon and all those other things where there was a, I mean, there was exploration and these other things like that that were important, but then it kind of like, you know, it kind of died out, you know, um, the space program is not anything like what it used to be. And so this idea that we're pushing and making new frontiers and all this other kinds of stuff is like, I think particularly like, you know, when, when there was all the uh, stuff happening around Vietnam and everything like that, I mean, it was kind of less, less and less salient. And, uh, you know, we've, as a country, we've never gone back to the moon, um, you know, after those Apollo missions. So, I mean, the, I think that idea is like a, um, 
I think so many people were raised with the idea of like, you know, we, we, we have to, as the U.S. has to be like the top, right? And p- police the world and be, be at the front, you know, is, and, and then, then there was this idea of like, what's well, no longer that, like, the, just like the, the Trump campaign, make America great again, like, like, again, like, you know, like recapturing this, this glory that maybe never really existed, but of that, that people kind of remember this, this nostalgia of like, of, of we're the world's superpower and everybody's kind of looking to us and, it's, and there's no problems. So like idyllic kind of like, time and you know i think you're you're right like that's you know um as the country was pushing forward you had these like superheroes on the comic book you know pages who were like doing all these things truth justice american way you have westerns you know like in in the in the cinema it's like this is like americana like usa and i think people who were raised you know with that uh to see it kind of like div- I think it's, I think it's just hard to like, to see like the, where it's not that, you know what I mean? And uh, you have people who are like, you know, like, well, you know, there's actually a lot of problems, you know, in our country that need to be solved that can't, you know, maybe we don't need to be the best at me. We need to fix some of our own issues. Yeah. I think a lot of that gets projected onto Asian people, to be honest. Um, I've noticed that you know, a lot of the sinophobia that's going around these days, uh, this, the fear mongering around China, uh, a lot of times I feel like it's not really about China. Like a lot of the ways they talk about China doesn't really ring true in terms of like what I've experienced in going there. Right. Like it's not, it's not a very informed discussion about China, but it's often seems to be more of uh, an internal debate about what what we are like you know what i mean like with and, and covid really brought this out in terms of like you know this sort of like underlying feeling like you know we need to bl- all the failures around like how we responded to covid yeah, scapegoat. at 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 bottom we're just kind of like yeah but the chinese it's it's your fault at the, you know like you did this to us you know i think a lot of the um I think there is a is there's an is a new kind of anti Asian racism that is uh, a result of that loss, you know. And I think that there is always a need to sort of reassert a sort of dominance. I think there's it's just part of the American DNA. It's like we just have to always prove dominance. That that happened after nine eleven, and you know, we couldn't help ourselves. We're like, okay, we're going to have to invade a couple countries. Like, it's just, that's just what we're going to do. There's no, you know, like, uh, and we know that now, like, that's what they said. Like, we're just going to go, there's a list of seven countries. We're going to go topple all of them one by one. And I think now it's like, you know, with what's going on with COVID or whatever, and, and a general sense of decline that there is now a renewed sort of, desire to go exert a kind of dominance and it's uh it's it's tiring and it's kind of dangerous in my opinion um but i don't know this is this has been this has been kind of fun because it's like uh a lot of the topics lately (laughs) and i kind of feel bad bringing it back to that because we have been focused on that kind of stuff a lot lately this is kind of fun just to like shoot the shit a little actually about um, I mean, this discussion was kind of a microcosm, a microcosm of like the entire like three year run of the pod. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Chris, you know what I mean, yeah, right? Like, it, it's like we kind of talked. Yeah, and then yeah. back to China somehow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's kind of nice to touch base, yeah. Yeah, I, I think to the, quest, the, or the question of agency, or sorry, the question of choice, um, it, it, to me, uh, it, it it's much more of one of finding agency in, um, like Young talks about in Lacan too, like the like taking in a sort of, and a, like specifically use the word assimilate a certain amount of evil into your uh, individualized sense of self. Um, and I think the hard but necessary thing to do for mixed race people, but, you know, I think kind of generally everyone uh, in the West is, is how, do, how, do you, how do you find agency in these terrible things? How do you come and, and because for everyone, it, you have a different level of how much power you derive from that horrible legacy. Um, but at some point you have to contend with the, the question of for your own development, like where, where is your agency in that? Where, what do you do with it? Um, do you completely separate and disassociate? Do you, uh, lean in and believe, believe the dream? Um, which honestly is probably for, from a mental health perspective, personally has a lot of, uh, power in it, you know? to believe the falsehood. Um, I Ignorance think, is bliss I th to some degree. To, yeah, in that sense, I think, in, I think the thing that I struggle with in that uh, belief, other than the fact that it's really morally <laughs> reprehensible and wrong, is that <laughs> if you buy into... The Sorry, spe specifically, uh, specifically what, what is morally reprehensible? Like, like if you believe that there's greatness in this nation and that there's some things that have happened in the past that were unsavory, but it does not uh, disqualify like the things that were are beautiful about oh, the United okay. States. I see. Um, I think aside from the fact that it's not true and uh, it's a terrible perspective of the world, I, I think the thing that is difficult is you can't it's not something that grows. It's not a perspective that you can extend outside yourself. It isolates you. In fact, I think mm -hmm. um, like, okay. I think you can derive a lot of personal uh, power from it and uh, like security and mental stability and actually be a pretty happy person uh, to an, a certain extent, even if, even if you're someone who has an identity that is marginalized to a great degree. Um, but I don't think that is like if you, for instance, you in a very probably the most tangible way for most people is like if you have kids, I think your chance that your kids are going to have that is becoming a narrower and narrower window. But I think also if you actually like have some political ideations to spread that, I spread that. Um, I I just don't think that that's something that can continue with any coherence that people are going to believe. Yeah. Me, well, I think you're going to have to fight uphill to right. keep that belief, right? Right. It's an ideological belief, but it's going to be there's going to be so much evidence, and uh, there's going to be so many events that sort of undercut that belief that it's going to. I think it's going to take a lot of effort to maintain it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I think that's driving a lot of uh, older people kind of nuts these days. You know, seeing what's going on yeah. there. I think I'm not sure they know how to process it, and they become kind of um 
they kind of lose touch and they become just sort of like either sometimes jingoistic or, you know, otherwise sort of slogan based. They have like a slogan based reality. Right. You know, <laughs> which, which is kind of sad because I mean, like they don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is a very, to keep America. yeah. Uh, I work at a grocery store and that it, the, the people who resist that policy of you have to wear a mask to shop are always over 60 consistently yeah. consistently yeah. it like blows my mind because it's these are the people that like i'm wearing this mainly for you pal um it which yeah. i think is a really bleak and difficult way i, I like i i don't I, on the one hand it irritates me because it like makes my david more difficult but on the other hand i think it, it's uh deeply sad i mean i i see this in people who i think this is like a generalized problem with just getting older is that if if you in any to any degree kind of have bought into some kind of mythology that is not true that isn't reflective of the material world around you um you get to this point where you you have to confront that lie and it's a really scary thing i think because it distances you from uh anyone in your family it distances you from like loved ones as people begin to die more off and i think it's a horrifying thing <laughs> like the thing i think about constantly is like if i was in my like 80s now and i was in the hospital and i was about to die uh sorry this is getting bleak as hell uh i that's <laughs> cool it's fine <laughs> i i would be it, like i do not want to leave the world in the people I love, not, 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 not in the sense I'm, I'm worried about what happens after this, but in the sense of like, I like leave the people that I, who are still alive and I care about like this, this is terrible. And I think you have to like do some rationalization while you're on your deathbed real quickly of like, were there mistakes I made? And I think it is, that is a difficult thing to think about. And also for people who aren't that, who are, in the 30s, 20s, younger, 40s. Um, this is a really helpful opportunity to kind of reframe it and think about the legacy of this nation in a way that I think is going to make a lot more coherence, hopefully, when we're in that position and we'll have some stability that, that we'll actually have something worthwhile that's not completely on fire and burning wreckage or maybe not i don't know but to hand down to other people uh, i my I, i'll go bleak i'll i'll I'll, uh, I'll up you on the bleakness <laughs> i think you're right but i think going in that direction though the bleakness that i see is that that's going to lead to a major confrontation yeah that's that's yeah. what i'm saying is like this is we're not all going to go that way no there's yeah. going to be a lot of people that go the other way yeah and that's wait, the wait, choice other way you mean like is, young die young yeah young people are going to no no no. i mean there's going to be people that are going to double down on those beliefs they're going to be even more ideological you know and there's going to be people who go the other way who are like look we've got to see through this charade you know we've got to confront the like so and it's going to be uh polarized which is what we're seeing and that's i think when you say agency though you kind of have to realize like people are going to make some there, Bad decisions, there's two yeah. cho- there's at least two choices you know and and not everyone's going to make that choice some, uh, some people if you give people agency you know some are going to go the other way and uh that i think is the really hard part is to realize like i gotta pick a side mm-hmm. 
that that's the thing that I keep coming back to lately. And the more you know, we've talked about stuff uh, when it comes to just. The, the everything from your personal identity extending out to political identity extending out to notions of ethnicity or whatever it's like you kind of have to make a choice now in america like pick a side it's it, there's just no way to just be uh you know american like in the bland sense of it there's no there's no simple middle ground anymore mm-hmm uh, there are increasingly two polarized and in, uh, often uh, inverse identities, and uh, you got to pick one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 the the ability to to say that oh I'm against polarization, which is a very liberal view. It's like oh oh the society is getting so polarized, it's awful. Oh, so people on the left are so crazy, people on the right are so crazy. Uh, that is, I think, the 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 mentality that is really outdated is this belief that you could just, uh, you know, not partake in that, not 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 um, yourself get subsumed in that, you know. Um, so that's the bleakness. <laughs> I, I think one thing that I find encouraging. I don't know if it's encouraging necessarily, but it like helps me on a personal level. Um, I don't know about on the broad political way because I don't feel it's going this direction. Um, T from Champagne Sharks described in one of the uh, live streams, this dichotomy of, um, and there's obviously problems with any dichotomy, but this one, uh, it helped me where you can organize your life in a way which is, uh, uh, how is it? It's, you, c- you can either choose things to be simple, but hard, like the, the things that you, the choices that you have to make. You know, like uh, whether it's with your job or, you know, personal relationships, you can deal with them head on. And, you know, it's it's a very difficult thing to uh, deal with, but you're dealing with like one thing at a time or just a few things. Whereas the inverse of that is um, it's easier, but it's more complicated. And what that means is, you know, you have to. In, in general, I think it's complementary with this idea of um, um, like the mythology being a lie thing where you have to lie a lot to keep this, keep these different like systems going that keep you from having to deal with like a singular problem. So, in a way, it actually is also very difficult. Um, but I think uh, it's easy in the sense that like in, in the moment kind of thing, you can kind of just tell a lie and then like gloss over it. And if you can just keep up and get really good at keeping uh, track of all these like complicated systems, then you can keep going on with like without without having to deal with like these hard singular punches that like yeah, that's like that's you. like everyone in the media exactly is yeah this is like the, easy com- easy but complicated yeah I mean this, this, this is, is like the bread and butter <laughs> that like I think T's really good at kind of parsing out in terms of like people on like Twitter and stuff who just feed you bullshit all day but can't keep track of their own stories and get uh, canceled chronically. The thing that I kind of derive satisfaction is I get consistency. Like I'm not trying, I'm not trying uh, to make a point in terms of like the things I'm saying in this pod or past pods. I'm not like wedded to these ideas. It's just, these are the things that I'm consistently seeing. Like where, whether it's on Twitter, some bullshit movie that just came out or like reading young I'm like seeing patterns and it's helpful 
because I, then I can take it back to my real life and it all like starts to make more sense. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I can't say that, that like the general social movement of the United States is going in that direction. But if you can find that in your own life, you know, whoever's listening, I think that, that, that is something I find encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I hope like, um, one thing that happens for folks over the next, you know, because of uh, a lot of the world shutting down is that people will take the time to, to think about some of these harder questions that they might've pushed to the background, um, yeah. and think about how they kind of like, uh, you know, apply to their own lives. Cause I think that the answer is, 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 is a very individual one. Uh, cause what's right for one person is probably not going to be right for somebody else. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be, do you have, do you feel okay with your own choices? Um, may, I may not be, uh, but it doesn't matter. It's that I'm not, not living your life and, you know, so, and, and I know for me, um, personally, when someone says you have to pick a side, I automatically resist. It's like an, it's like an unconscious thing at this point. And I, I think it probably has to do with having that inherent choice of, of racial identity and not, 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 uh, feeling the need to choose between one or the other because they're both me. And I automatically kind of resist um, being told uh, by other people like how I should view myself. And so I know that there was a the other day. This is just a represent like an automatic like a. It's kind of funny like how the things in your life that happen will tie back to some of these like sort of deep or core kind of um, identity issues. The other day uh, we were having a work meeting. We we're talking about this exercise where. Uh, someone was talking about and talking about like her reactions to it um, and how it didn't quite go as planned. But the exercise was, it was something she was doing with students. Um, and I guess this is done, but it, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's an exercise where it's a, it's like a debate kind of exercise where you're given a certain number of people and it's in a scenario in a hot air balloon and the hot air balloon is sinking. And the, the group has to figure out who of that group they're going to toss out to save the group from crashing. Have you guys ever done this exercise before? It's just like the trolley where you, you like change the, you have to pull a switch to save either five people or just leave it. And like, I think it's, the, yeah, I think it's kind of like that. This is like, I don't know. I've never heard of this before. And I, 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 I think it's actually kind of a horrible exercise in many ways, but um, it's, yeah, you're, you're given like hypothetical people, like, but so you could, you, so you could, um, you could make it, I think they usually use celebrities, you know, and, uh, <laughs> oh um, and so the, the idea is like, you know, you're, you're supposed to, as a group, come up with the idea that, that you really shouldn't throw anybody out, I think. But, um, I don't know. I think it's like a, a very perverse exercise and it kind of brings out the worst in human nature. When I heard about that sort of thing, I was like, wow, this is like really effed up. And I kind of looked it up and I was like, wow, they actually do this in schools and stuff like that. What are we, why are we instilling these kind of values in, in kids? But, um, but the experience that I had was a very visceral kind of, uh, reaction. I mean, it was, it was kind of maybe nauseous, the idea that you're, you're going to like choose based on these arbitrary kind of categories or ideas. And you're going to like, because that's the exercise. You're going to throw somebody out of the balloon and they will die and your balloon will go up and you'll live. It's like, I don't know. It just seems horrible that you're going to, that that's the conclusion. I know it's like a hypothetical kind of thing, but I know if that were me and this was a real situation, I would, I would 
basically fight tooth and nail and figure out and say like, no, we're not throwing anybody out. We were going to find a way to land this balloon safely, or we're going to, uh, and, uh, or, or we're going to, uh, we're going to figure out a way to do it without tossing people out because everybody's, you know, life I think has, has value. And who are we to let's say like, you know, like, well, you know, use that your yours has less. I don't know. So it's, it's like, uh, but that was like a, 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 like for me, I had that kind of reaction because I think of my background, but I think someone else who didn't necessarily have that might have an easier time making that choice and be like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, toss out uh, Mussolini or whatever, you know, <laughs> maybe that would be a good thing, but you know, like, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, so it, uh, I, I, I think, you know, um, the, the ultimate thing is like figuring out the ultimately important thing, I think, um, is figuring out how it applies to you and how it applies to your own family. One of the things I often will encourage people to uh, think about, like when I'm working with like the residents and stuff that I have to cross paths with and teach, um, is like, you know, someone may look a certain way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they identify with all the ideas of that particular culture. You know, every family has its own culture. And so, you know, someone could phenotypically look a certain way or be from a certain part of the world or a certain part of the, the country or a certain part of the town. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that they identify with all those kind of like stereotypical ideas. So, you have to ask. And I think um, you have to be willing to, you know, uh, have the, uh, I guess, um, respect to, to say like, you know, tell me a little bit about, about what that is like for you tell me about your experience um even at the risk of like uh uh pissing him off because sometimes people won't necessarily want to talk about that um because of how they usually it's been how because of how they've been treated by other people uh but um i, I think that's important and that's one of the things i find frustrating about the the way that our country is going uh in terms of the polarization not to say it necessarily always will be this way but um, it's because we get locked into like our camps and we're like, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And the other side says, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And like, well, then you're, we're not going to, we're not going to ever get anywhere. And I think that's a, that's a, when we think about, when I think about raising children in that environment, you know, uh, and trying to help them learn that, okay, we, some, we don't necessarily have to fight about everything. Like I have two kids, you know, they're three and six squabble about all kinds of stuff, you know. I want this, I want, you know, it's like, you know, all day long, but, um, you know, you hope that eventually they'll grow out of that, you know, the brain develops and you learn how to like think about things logically. But when we go back to that, like two or three year old mentality where you want what you want, you want it now. And if you're not going to have it, you're going to have a tantrum. Uh, yeah, I don't think we, there's no logic to that. You can't logic a two year old, you know? And uh, if that's the way we're gonna we're gonna operate as a society, then then that's not that's not a good thing. I don't think. The the thing I thought about when you're talking about uh, kind of the assumptions that you are attempted to make with uh, you know clients versus uh, kind of needing to leave your assumptions at the door and like ask them the difficult questions that even they may not want to ask answer. Um, is we've talked about on the podcast and I don't, I don't know if you've heard it, uh, the distinction between high context and low context cultures. Are you familiar with that, Josh? 
I think I've heard the term, but I don't actually know what that means. Can you refresh my memory? In like social social interactions within uh, a given culture, there is like a great deal of information that you can glean from someone based on like the like the the status in society, the way they carry themselves. Oh their, yeah, 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 um, yeah, various yeah. details yeah. and yeah. the acceptability to bring up the, that information into conversation um, is much more acceptable in a high can- context culture versus a low context culture where that is not acceptable. Whereas like the United States is like seen as a very low context, same thing with like New Zealand or uh, Australia, parts of Europe, but less so. Um, The places like China, Japan are going to be seen as very high context where like, if you, if you don't, if you aren't using that information, if you don't, if you aren't plugged into that knowledge, you're going to struggle a lot more because that is like all all these subtle interactions. And the thing that seems to be true with a clinical approach is that you have, you're kind of forced to be, to take a, at least in the beginning, a very low context approach to a client's problems, which I could see as being a difficult thing for dealing with anyone who isn't white and uh, is in somehow enshrined in a community that is very high, like communicates through like a very high context lens. Yeah. Um, I don't don't know. Is that that something that reflects like things that you've encountered? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think it's, I think it's, I think it's tough. Um, Cause I think the, well, okay. So I, I guess, I mean, there's a lot of biases here, right? Because if you, if you are a, someone who's, who's been trained in the West and you're practicing in a, largely like you know western environment i mean you're going to be trained probably in that way um i mean i think there's always the human tendency to make assumptions uh and to have as much as i talked about these things like transference and countertrans all those kinds of things that you're trying to be aware of and how you interact with people like you're also fighting against your own like you're essentially fighting against human nature to, to make assumptions and to avoid things that are uncomfortable Right. So, um, you know, I think this is that I think that represents an ideal. And so I think what people often find is even though you can talk about these ideals, the reality that people find when they go to say, like, I don't know, find a therapist is not that is usually not that there's a humongous range of, of levels of training that people have. Um, there are, I mean, I think there's certain personality characteristics that people tend to go into, like people who uh, become mental health uh, providers or f- just like healthcare providers in general tend to have. And so um, that sometimes can get in the way uh, when um, th- this is a whole separate thing. And I don't necessarily know if you want to get into that, but th- there's like the idea of like training someone to be culturally competent. That is a very like loaded thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's good intentions, like- right? Culturally com- you know, competent in like if, competent if they're in, in, like in yeah, the American sense of uh, cultural I, I identity. Yes, I don't. I don't know. Like a corporate sense, whoever's creating the program of like this is how to be culture, whatever that means. You know how to deal with people who essentially, you know, for basically for all intents and purposes, are not white. Um, but for you know, how do you deal? How do you deal with people who are essentially different from you? 
right? And so there's all these programs that are designed to educate people. And I think because I, I have mixed feelings about those things because I think education is a good thing. And unless you educate yourself, you're never going to know differently, right? But on the other hand, like sometimes those programs are also really problematic because it's teaching people stereotypes essentially. Um, and you can never know everything. Like you can, you, even if you know, like, I don't know, a lot about a particular area of the world, you don't know if the person that's in front of you, the family that's in front of you or whatever necessarily ascribes to those beliefs. So you have to ask. And I think, so I think at least initially, um, if you, uh, and I, I guess, again, this is an ideal thing is I think there's plenty of people who ignore all of this stuff and just assume that it's not, it doesn't matter. But if you do want to know more and you do feel like it's important, then I don't think there's any way you can like mind read your way into it. And I think you're going to more likely to get yourself in trouble by, by making assumptions about stuff. And I think, I think again, like if you know your own biases, if you know like um, where your own hangups are going to be, you can avoid this to some degree, but you won't in involve it. You won't, uh, you won't, uh, it won't be free of, of, uh, of, it won't be a, like a, um, a total stress-free ex experience, uh, for either party. You'll, you'll hit snags. And I would say that there was a psychiatrist, his name was, um, Kohut, and he talked about this idea of empathic failure. Um, and, uh, the idea was that, um, in working with somebody who, let's face it, everybody's different from you, right? So, uh, you will inevitably do or say something that causes a like a rift in your relationship. Let's say you're doing therapy with somebody and you say something that's totally like, I don't know, like ben that you think is benign, but they take in a particular way that is, is different from what you intended. If you can repair that, then that's, uh, that's, that can be corrective, but uh, that actually the ability to catch that, and say like, oh, you know what? I, at that particular moment, I failed you there just as say like, you know, all parents will inevitably fail their kids at some, something or another, right? Kid learn, has to need to learn how to walk, um, but they can't do it if the parent is constantly there and holding them the entire, they have to fall. So, the parent, of course, feels terrible. Like, you know, uh, kids fall off stuff, they break things and injure themselves. I mean, it's just all these things in your parent, like, oh, Jesus Christ, I mean, what, you know. But on the other hand, the kid's not going to learn un unless those experiences happen. Like there has to be some some consequences, right? And so, like that actually is for for say a therapist to do or say something that you know the the patient goes like, what? Like why would you do or say something if the patient that then feels comfortable enough to say bring that up, or the therapist knows that? Oops, I just stepped over the line. I did something that made you uncomfortable. Let's discuss that. Let's unpack that. Let's figure out what, what happened there. That has the capability of being corrective. So, um, I, I remember when I learned that idea, I was like, wow, that felt enormously freeing in some ways because it means that you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna screw up. You know, like I think I'll, I spent a lot of my time dealing with, with medications and, you know, that aspect of things. Like people are going to have side effects. They're going to react poorly to stuff. Uh, that you have given them and w with they, they take it and they trust you uh, but uh, can you can you work through that and um, I think that's that can be helpful uh, especially for folks that they, they don't necessarily have to give up so quickly and I that's again to bring it back to the the wider scope of things like 
I worry when we just have these very one-sided arguments um, and we're just butting heads with each other that we're uh, that we're getting to that point where we're just giving up. You know, we're not we're not we're not trying to work through things um, because. Uh, Which I mean, that, working through things is basically your entire job, right? Yeah, it's it's the entire job. But I mean, with any kind of like human interaction like let's say it's a spouse or something like that you're gonna like it's not gonna be perfect you're gonna have all kinds of issues that come up and so like unless you um are willing to stick it out for the long haul and just not give up um i mean there's obviously times when you have to like all right fine i'm just gonna walk away and uh did the best i could but uh if we learn that uh, okay someone doesn't agree with me well like fuck you and like that's that's that you know because you, you, so you never you know, like you never really know like that person could have had a, a horrendous day, and they're just not able to process, you know, the argument at that particular time. Like you just you have no idea. Um, so I don't know. I think I find that I think personally frustrating. Um, the, the upside to that, though, I think, is that if there is an upside, is I, I think that the nature of the disagreements are becoming more clear. Like this isn't just. What I'm seeing is that this isn't just about, um, you know, people operating in bad faith or people being, uh, you know, overlooking the common ground or whatever. I think we're having real disputes, you know, in society that are splitting us along lines that in a way it's not like the fault lines opening up. Mm-hmm. It's like the fault line was always there, right. but now totally. we're yeah. it's there's there's a there's an earthquake going on along the fault line. And I think in a way it's good there is an upside to it in the sense that and I've experienced this in my life is like for those of us who understand that we're on the quote same side of things that there it seems to be a, a sense of like higher purpose now because the stakes are so high and my, my friends with kids, for example, like they're, you know, a lot of times in the past, like we were, me and my friends were like a bit apolitical or we were like a bit, you know, we just, you know, we like to talk about like barbecuing meats. You know what I mean? Like we didn't really talk, we don't like to talk about much more than that, you know? And then, and we, and, and honestly, in a way, me and my friends were very like, you know, uh, uh, juvenile in the way that we uh, hung out with each other because, you know, why, why, what do you want to talk about all this, all this like heady stuff for? But now, now that you can't avoid it, now that like these things are absolutely real and everyone has been having, uh, like you said, you know, you were hoping that maybe this time it, people would go home and maybe or spend some time really thinking about and reflecting on what's, you know, uh, what really matters or, or, or that. I think that's happening mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And that's changed the way I interact with my family and my friends. It's noticeable a noticeable change in the way that um, in those interactions happen. We talk less about barbecuing meats. We talk more <laughs> about, you know, um, we talk about like, well, what's going on with the school, you know, their worries about school, about opening up, about why some people aren't taking this seriously, things like that. And it is really relegating a lot of um, meaningless disagreements and, you know, differences uh, because we have something much more important to talk about that we're all sort of aligned with. And in that sort of, you know, in that quote polarization, there's actually a weird unity that comes out of it too. Everyone's at least t- 
talking about the same set of issues. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a million people going in a million different directions. Like there is a sort of unity and clarity. I think that we're getting now uh, that kind of help. It's kind of the silver lining to it mm-hmm. in a way for me yeah. is, you know, I, I, I think that it's actually, you know, it's kind of like, it reminds me of, um, that Radiohead song from the 90s where one of the lyrics was like, I wish it was the 60s and something would happen. And it was the 90s. Nothing was fucking happening. You know, like like everyone was everyone was wondering how come everything was so, you know, sort of dead and sleepy. And why were the why did we miss the 60s? And then 2020 came and no one's talking about that anymore. (laughs) You're like, oh, man, you know, we're living in this, you know, this is we're living the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s all at the same time now. Totally. So there's the upside to that, I guess. I think I think I think that is like a lot of these issues that are front that um, were front and center for like a minority of folks are now being talked about in a more widespread kind of way. And I think, oh, that's, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. There's a, um, a YouTube thing. I'll sometimes watch it's, uh, I think is it, what's the guy's name? He's an NFL uh, player, Emmanuel Acho, I think it, but it's called uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Um, okay. and he's done a bunch, a bunch of different episodes, but it was what his thing was. He is, he wanted to provide a venue to ask, um, non-black folks questions about what it's like basically to be black and the, the questions i i think the 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 it's like they're like relatively short like under a half an hour and the the, the things are relative in my mind kind of like i don't think most of the conversations are not uncomfortable uh, they're like they're fairly like mainstream can i ask a clarifying question yeah is so is are they asking him questions or is he asking uh, them questions about yeah so it's both um but he generally has a guest on uh okay. and um it's generally people who are white but there's a he's done a couple episodes where it's like um you know like mixed race couples like one is white one is black and he's had he's had ones where there's kids on um i think he had one that has like chip and joanna Gaines. oh yeah their the whole family was on there like you know from like what's that show that they do the home and not home improvement. I don't know. It's like one of those home and garden um, shows. Um, but anyway, um, she's I think part Korean or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, the the um, the, the questions are like user the they are relatively user user generated. I think like people will ask like things that like I don't know. Like he's like why people will write in and say like why can't I say the n word as a non black person? And you're like Jesus. Like why are you you had that question, but obviously someone had that question and didn't know the answer. And then they, now they have a venue to ask that in a, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Like, I think he's, he's putting himself out there to answer a lot of these questions. Obviously, it's his opinion, but um, I think that's a good thing. Like, that the people are, are like feeling freer to discuss these things for before it would have been less this hush, hush secret sort of thing. Like, we can't talk about this in polite conversation because you know, you know, people might yeah. judge us poorly, you know, they think about us poorly. So, we're just going to kind of keep it secret and have these like inherently racist kind of thoughts going on. But we, ha- there's no way we know of to like educate ourselves, you know. So, I think that's a good thing if people are able to have more open dialogue. Um, and, and the stakes, as you mentioned, are higher, right? You know, because this is affecting like the stuff with like, you know, uh, 
like the protests and uh, all these kinds of things in the pandemic, all this kind of stuff are affecting people on a very visceral level and they're forced to deal with it in day-to-day life. And plus we have an election coming up. So it's like you have all this stuff like, you know, kind of happening. So I think like people are discussing that stuff more. And plus there's like sports or like a lot of it's canceled. It's like politics is like (laughs) the new sports. So it's like, um, so, I mean, if that's a good thing that's come out of this, then I say like, okay, then, then it wasn't a total, then two, uh, 2020 wasn't a total waste, you know, it's not a total wash. I mean, I think that's. Yeah. I, I think there's a certain degree of patience that anyone, I think, I think anyone listening to this podcast specifically has to have um, in the sense that like, you know, it, per, the idea, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a big believer in the idea that, uh, the arc of history leans towards progress. Um, but I do think that, you know, compared to like in 2008, I was like pretty involved with the anti-war movement and um, thinking about the questions I was, I had rolling through my mind when I was like pretty young back then, I never would have imagined that, you know, the people that are talking about the things they are talking about, uh, these days would would it would be the case it always felt like it'd be a fringe thing like it's just always fringe these topics mm-hmm. yeah so that's encouraging um i think one thing that uh is important to keep in mind um not to be like overly pessimistic but it's just like a thing that is always i think a nice thing to hold on to is uh jess has who's uh, part of the podcast has this uh she said this one line of like uh no representation is better than bad representation. Um, and I, th- I think the hard thing about like, you know, media, social media today is that you see s- there, there is like this like starting of the conversation in this kind of baseline way that is like not, not like high level stuff, but you know, it's, it's, it's broad, it's broader, it's more digestible. It's like, starting things that aren't haven't been able to been started before at the same time there's it's being directed or really misdirected in ways that i think are like pretty disingenuous or like for uh you know individual gains like in a very uh i guess in like a kind of corporate speak kind of way mm, yeah um that's a that's a hard thing and i i think anyone who's listening who's frustrated by that you know you're totally those feelings of frustration are totally legitimate. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be really aware um, and not lose focus on like, kind of like what, what, what is, what is the good argument? So if, if these are, if these things are failing to answer the questions that we're trying to ask, then what is, what is the venue? And just continuously try to seek those things out, you know? Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, uh, I don't know if y'all saw that video that came out of Wisconsin today. Uh, You'll see it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Just tell me. Yeah. It's just, it's just that it's the cops kill this man in front of his kids. He's like walking away from the cops and they just, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I'm, it's on the it's online now. 2020 is a cursed year. It's just, it just is fucking insane. Um, You know, one thing I will say about about that, I mean, that that makes it very different from, say, like the 60s, um, is that we have access to this kind of stuff all the time. 
in a level of detail that I don't think people necessarily in previous parts of history had access to. Um, and so that, I think that's important for people to, to remember too. Like, I think like um, if you've ever been like third wheel in, uh, in something and like two people are arguing, and you're like the third person there and you're like, ah, oh, this is weird. I'm here. Um, and they're just kind of like operating as if you weren't there. Like you, you, you kind of like know how like, you know, you can feel that kind of like tension in the air, you know, and I think um, the, the steady stream of, of uh, these kinds of things that people consume, particularly like the really graphic kind of stuff, like it, it's, it does stuff to people. And so um, I think it's, it's really helpful, I think, to be mindful of how much of that stuff you're, you are consuming, because if it's helpful for you and it's helping you like, I don't know, maybe inspiring is not the right word, but if it's motivating you to, you know, push for the next, whatever it is, or champion the next thing or, or whatever, if that, if that is helpful and that is helpful in directing all that anxiety towards something positive, then I think that's a good thing. But I think if all of it does is like reinforce, like, wow, the world is like a shit place. And, um, it's, it's, uh, um, I, it's a fearful place. And I like, like that's going to probably cause more problems in the long run. So I know like, um, I think maybe we talked about this before team. Like we talked about like, uh, the last time we were, um, discussing like, like the me too movement, you know, I had so many students like come into my office after when those things were happening, who had had, you know, sexual assaults in the past. And they're like, you know, this is a really good thing, but it really, really sucks for me, you know, cause every time they go on social media or turn on TV, radio, people are talking about it and they're reminded of all the stuff that they're like, I'd rather not think about this right now. I'd rather just kind of like try to get through my day, you know? So I think we have to be mindful of that, um, particularly for folks that may not necessarily have like the ability to kind of tease that out themselves, like for kids, especially, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, it, uh, on the other hand, it's like if this was happening the whole time, uh, it's better that we see it than not see it for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but then on the other hand, it's like, you know, I, I know I have um, black friends who tell me that they don't watch these videos because they're like at this point and a lot of times they feel like it's become, you know, like snuff video. It's it, it almost becomes not entertainment, but it becomes gawkish. Like they're like, we know, we know this happened kind of like what you're, what you're saying about um, women who have gone through it, uh, uh, sexual assault. It's like, they know it exists. They don't need to see it. And they sometimes feel, uh, or in terms of these videos about, you know, black men being killed. um, It's like, I don't know if, I guess their point is like, I don't know if we need to see the video constantly to understand that this is the reality. Yeah. I, uh, you know, is this, it's, it's a tough, it's a, it's a hard point to make, but yeah, I think that, that, that what I've heard from them about these kinds of videos is similar, uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, the, the, the this may, this kind of, it's just, it's maybe a little bit too triggering in a way. Right. And, and, uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, man, we talked about everything. Uh, 
Chris, any, any, we were at like about two hours 15. I know, uh, you know what? The funny thing is like, you know, we record these really long podcasts these days. And then, uh, I tell some of the people like, oh, sorry, the pod's going to be really long. And they're like, oh no, that's fine. I like the long ones. They, people like long ones. I don't like play them in the background or whatever. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts or anything, or we should probably, uh, wrap it up soon, but um and and continue it i think there was a lot of stuff like maybe we go into more detail in the future but um yeah uh chris any last thoughts or yeah i mean i I think anyone who's like mixed race listening to this podcast you know i I think you know it 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 can be hard if you're uh accessing asian spaces for the first time uh to feel kind of like that's that is something that you have autonomy over and, you know, people do have, I think there is a good uh, point in terms of like thinking about like light skin and uh, passing and all the different, you know, advantages that you can have of that. But I, I think that is ultimately um, a separate a separate conversation than the one that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, I, I think for as much as the conversation like tries to steer mixed race in this, this thing of... Um, you know, it's a very divided and, uh, you know, mental, ang- mental anguishing kind of position where like mixed race kids are so fucked up. Uh, I think, um, I think, uh, one thing that rang, rang true for me in a, one of the past podcasts that Anton Song said is that, you know, the identity of mixed race, have that as, as a demarker, is largely heterogeneous, meaning it's not something that you can say, you can talk about coherently um, and it will ring true for everyone who identifies as that. So you really, it, it's hard within race, the discussion of race, which can be often so homogenous and how it's spoken about to have your kind of own individualized uh, conception of that. And I think I, I would just want to encourage uh, anyone in that position, no matter how white passing you are, to uh, just just keep plugging in, keep talking about it, keep thinking about it. Um, it can be really difficult and super personal at times, but I, uh, you know, I think there is a lot of value that you can derive personally out of it, um, just from a mental health perspective. It's definitely a difficult thing to do. But I think it is something that um, you, sh- you should feel invited to continue exploring. Yeah, I, I think, um, I guess to bounce off of Chris's uh, thought, I mean, I would say um, it's in, we touched upon this in a couple of different ways, like with with stories and, and movies and um, personal narratives, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's important for, for folks to just, get a sense about what their own personal story is and to, to write their own story. Um, not necessarily be bound by what other people necessarily want for you or expect you to be. Um, I think to take those things into consideration and recognize that there's like, you know, you operate as a part of a society. And so there's going to be certain societal kind of things that you don't necessarily agree with. But, um, uh, the, uh, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a, maybe this is an American way of looking at it, but I mean, the, the, um, the, uh, 
the notion that you don't necessarily need to be bound by that. And I think that's probably definitely true for um, someone who is multiracial um, because there's all kinds of assumptions that people will make about you fit into this or that or do this or you don't. I mean, and maybe that's some of that's true. Maybe it's totally not. And so, and I would say if there's, there's anybody that um, is listening to this and is interested in making that leap into, it's like, you know what, I think I'd like to discuss uh, some of these kinds of issues with a, a mental health uh, person. Um, I, I will say that uh, there's lots of different ways of going about doing that. Um, I would say uh, you don't necessarily have to find a professional to do that. There's probably plenty of people in your own community who you can express some of these things to. Um, and it's helpful to have those people around just to tr try to build your support network. Um, because even if you go to see a therapist, you're going to probably see them at most like maybe like once, maybe twice a week. And so an hour or two out of like, you know, 168. So you know, the rest of your life is lived elsewhere. And I would say that um, uh, the, the real benefit of uh, kind of like getting this area of your life handled is it is um, – it is a continual like work in progress. You know, everybody has their own different things, their own challenges and stuff like that. And so um, what might be appropriate for you to work on right now may not necessarily be what you ultimately kind of need to like work on later on. So for example, like if you've gone through a lot of trauma or those kinds of things, it may not be right to work on that now, but there may be some other things you can start working on. And I really think that something is really better than nothing. Even if, if the person or the setting or whatever it is that you find is not necessarily ideal, it's okay. It's never going to be 100% ideal. Um, so uh, I think that uh, you have to stick with it. Um, and uh, if, if it doesn't work out, it's fine. You know, f find somebody else. I mean, you don't have to, there's no reason you necessarily have to stick with somebody who's who's like incompetent, who insults you, who doesn't, doesn't get it after repeatedly trying, you know, I think the point is that you stick with it and not necessarily give up on yourself. I think that's, that's the bigger part of it. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I think we should go into that more next time. Like we should do a pod just on how to access, like maybe even just really, really basic concepts of what even mental health is. And, um, going going into that i know people have expressed a lot of interest in that so yeah if you're down to do that sometime we could pick it up there so yeah i mean as um, i mentioned i was mm -hmm. writing it writing an article on it. i mean these are things i just you know i talk about with patients every day and kind of trying to putting it into there but i was, I was writing it and i was like wow this you know is that a lot that kind of goes into this and uh in some ways maybe it's easier to talk about rather than just um kind of put down on paper because there's a lot of i don't know uh there's a lot of um it's like you could you could write like a whole I think you could do like a whole like dissertation on it in, in some ways. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you'd be down for that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um so we'll uh we'll call it there. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.